0: For the happy half hour with your friends, Kristen Balboni, Will Bryan, and Darren Gantt. Welcome to the happy half hour. I am Will Bryan. I am not Kristen Balboni, but I, I get to sit in the big chair today and be that guy and be the voice. We're joined today by the one, the only Mick Mixon. Mick, what does Mick stand for? <laughs>
1: uh, it's short for Mickey, which I was called when I was born, little Mickey Mixon in Chapel Hill growing up as a little kid. And I um, had a news director at a radio station one time shorten it to Mick. He said, you sound too much like a damn kid by being named Mickey, and I shouldn't have hired you anyway, so from now on we're just going to call you Mick.
0: What's your middle name?
1: My legal name is Forrest with one R, Orion, O-R-I-O-N, Mixon the third. Gives him a certain mythological quality, doesn't it?
0: It does. Forrest
1: is is quite a
0: name. H- has anyone ever called you Forrest?
1: Oh, that the classic when you're in trouble. Your oh, mom, yeah. Forest Orion mixing the third. You
0: kind, get it. Kind of like Philip Walker. Yes. Yeah, just a little bit.
2: Something like that. But the man's middle name is Orion. For God's sake. Oh, Orion. Sacks. Yeah. He's the legendary hunter of the stars. I mean, come there we on.
0: we go. I missed the lead. Yeah. Anyway, Kristen is on special assignment so I'm- Mick is joining us today for a very special episode of the Happy Half Hour. We are back from the buy. We have some some a lot of personal things going on. I, I think going into the buy last week we didn't really announce this because it was a pretty big secret and I didn't want all of our listeners to know but I've had some things that happened in my life in the last week.
2: What are we working y- with? Y- young will has got news, ladies and gentlemen. I'm engaged.. There you go. How about that, Mick? Unbelievable. How did you do it? And were you nervous? Oh
0: my gosh. I completely blacked out in a good way, but (laughs) uh, we did it in the, uh, like the green, the park near the Mint Museum in Uptown after several other venues or areas were were not going to work because of a holiday sip and stroll, which meant that hundreds of people were going to be in the previous place I was going to try to do it. Um, over in Fourth Ward. So we ended up going over there, and her, uh, I had, like, taken pictures, set up. It was going to be on, like, the second walkway, and her friends were going to be behind the some of the the side columns to jump out and take pictures. By the time we walked in, I had, was so nervous walking through Uptown that I just got down on one knee in the first walkway. No one had any idea I was doing it. There were no pictures of the moment. She was. It was so warm that night. It was, like, 75 degrees on Friday. So she was carrying, like, her big heavy coat in her left hand so I grabbed her right hand to, like, pull towards me and then just kind of, I guess, shoved the ring in her general direction. And, you know, her story was that I put it on the wrong hand. I don't know whether I put it anywhere, but <laughs> I, I I don't remember really much of the moment outside of her. She didn't say yes. She said, are you serious? And then I said yes. Like Dick
1: Vitale. Yeah. Are you serious? Pretty much. <laughs> That's a Nestle. Pretty much. What did you say? What were your exact words? Will you marry me? Will you, like, marry me and stuff? Will you like marry me soon?
0: Yeah, so. And then uh, did she
1: know did she have a sense because women are legendary for?
0: She knew in general, but she had no idea that Friday. I, I had played a little bit of the long game with her parents. they they had convinced her they were gonna be in Georgia and then they were there. Uh, my parents were there. and I think she really I had been telling her all week we're, we're not gonna travel for the bye week. I've got a surprise. We're gonna go out to, you know go out to dinner. And she just thought we were going out to dinner. And then the way we were walking, she was completely confused where we were going. She ended up thinking we were going to, like, Red Ginger or something.
1: So now that you've done this, congratulations, by the way. Darren, you've been married. I've been married. I got a mulligan in, uh, let's see, 2011 and took it right down the middle, which is great. And You did the same thing last year. I
2: did the same thing. So, Will, the
1: only thing you really control is what you did, where you did it, and that you did it. Now, you'll be – it's like you're a – You've hitched a ride aboard a comet that will streak <laughs> across the sky. Planning the wedding.
0: Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm already.
2: You will have no I'm al- control. Al- I'm over already anything. holding just, on for dear life. Just yeah. enjoy the ride. But it was cool. And and after the fact, adding to Ann's surprise was the fact that Will and his friends had planned this party. A bunch of friends were able to gather, meet the parents. I got to meet the Bryans, and uh, his parents are lovely people. I, I got a kick out of talking to them, meeting them, and telling them about what a good boy he is.
1: Playing in cover bands over the years, I've seen all kind of weddings and toasts and the whole thing. I mean, we could do a whole show just on that. But the other <laughs> day I had, um, <laughs> had breakfast with Casey Lauren Beamer, oh, Frank yeah. uh, Beamer's daughter, who yeah. used to work here. Casey's very gracious, very elegant young woman, lives in Charlotte now with her husband, Kanan. So our band, the band I was in played at Casey Beamer's wedding, uh, the rehearsal dinner in uh, Georgia at this Ritz-Carlton Hotel, this big-time lake. This wedding has it all. I mean, there's a cello player. There's this grand entrance down by the water. And Casey had thought of everything, except that right during the vows, these two old boys in a bass boat come by <laughs> on the water. <laughs> so security's everywhere, wedding directors everywhere. But the one thing they, ca- they couldn't control was the, the lake. Oh, my god! So these two old boys come by, and they slow the bass boat down, and one of them yells out, don't do it. <laughs> I was married to her first run <laughs> oh man
0: all right i'm Good I'm I'm stuff. marking that down to not have it by a body of water that that we cannot have full control over
2: there there's very little you can control i, I mean, know as mick mix as mick mentioned both of us are are on number two and i remember the first time i was actually in this press box at bank of america stadium one time calling florist or calling somebody about a cake or something on the first one. And Ken Berger, the legendary columnist from Charleston, walked by. And and Ken was a man who had been blessed with a number of lives in his career. I remember um, Ken Berger. (laughs) And Berger walked by, and my old boss at the paper, Gary McCann, was standing there, and they were shooting the breeze, and they heard me nervously making all these arrangements on the phone. And I remember Ken Berger looking at McCann and saying, how many is that for the boy? And McCann said, just one. And Berger just kind of looked at me and grinned and patted me on the head and said, Rookie. <laughs> right, before, right before I came to the Panthers in 05, we
1: played a wedding in Chapel Hill and I was the, uh, I married the couple. So Audrey and Sean Pukash asked me to do their vows. Kristen Balboni has done this. She Wait, was, are you ordained? She officiated a wedding. Yes, uh, www.roseministries.com. Ordination package B. Uh, I went with the thirty uh, dollars 99 package. So you get a name tag, an official clergy parking pass, and everything.
2: Is there a stole <laughs> involved with this?
1: No. Okay. But um, So we play the wedding. So I marry Audrey and Sean. Then we play the wedding. And during a break in the wedding, and I'm the drummer in the band, this, this guy comes up to me and he goes, are you the drummer? And I said, yeah. He goes, weren't you the preacher? And I said, yeah. And he goes, aren't you that guy that's going to the Panthers? And I said, yeah. And he went, oh, Jesus Christ. And just shook his head. And it was all just too much for him. He had <laughs> sensory underload, I think. <laughs> well, this has been quite now. A start. How are we going to top that? Yeah,
2: I don't, I don't. know about the Atlanta Falcons.
0: I don't know. Well, so you guys are both on the on the radio a good bit. You get all the questions from from the local folks around here. What what are some of the the themes that you're uh, you're circling before Sunday's game,
2: Darren? I just think there's so much uncertainty right now about what's going on with the football team. I mean, when you make a move with Joe Brady, as they did on Sunday, you start down a new direction with Jeff Nixon calling plays. You're trying to figure out what these next five games mean. And I think it's reasonable to say, I don't know, um, because you're trying to figure out what Cam Newton's got left in the tank. I mean, we've seen three games of Cam, one great, one great, one great cameo, one – Pretty good game against Washington and then one stinker against Miami. And so, what comes next? We've covered every end of the spectrum. Where in it is this one going to fall? So, don't know. And we'll see. I mean, Cam and, and and Matt Ryan have their own history. They played each other, I think, 16 times. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going to be fascinating to me. I mean, the rest of this season is very much a great unknown. I don't know what kind of play caller Jeff Nixon's going to be. I don't know what Cam's got left in the tank. I don't know how they're going to – put pieces together in front of Cam to protect him. Brady Christensen's going to get to play this week, and, and we'll see what that means for his long-term development and those kind of things. But there are so many things that it's just impossible to predict with this team that are going to have impact both in the immediate and in 22 and beyond. I think if Cam could go 15 of
1: 22 for 149 and not throw any picks, I, I think that would do it. This My yeah. point is this is going to be – this game could be broadcast in black and white. This is going to be <laughs> run it, stop the run. Yeah. So, all the. But, you know, there is, to Darren's point, the contrast between Cam Newton when he first got here and then Miami, I still can't get over. So, I'll just speak for myself. Yeah. I am in a full body goosebump when this athlete comes out of the tunnel and spreads his imaginary blazer across to reveal the red S on his cinnamon chest. I cannot believe I'm bearing witness. To one of the great comeback stories in the history of athletics. Then, against Miami, I wanted to go down on the sidelines and and punch him and say, Cam, seriously, I got to try to make this 5.8 quarterback rating sound good on the radio. Do you realize how difficult this is? So it just. But yet, I think he's going to play well Sunday. This is the perfect kind of game mm-hmm. where Cam Newton comes comes roaring back and and plays well and. Runs the ball effectively, and and I just I think it's going to be great theater. I can't wait.
2: Yeah, and and I was inspired watching Cam Newton's old team the other night on Monday Night Football pass at a grand total of three times in a game, and, and one of those Mac Jones wasn't supposed to throw it yeah. off script. <laughs> and I and I think that's probably an extreme outlier. Um, But I do think there's something to be learned from that. If if you're in a situation where there is some question about pass protection, receivers getting open, whatever, just run.
1: Run the ball. Strip
2: it down. Make it simple. And and I think – you know, it's naturally occurring because Cam's still new on the job. You're, you were learning a new offense anyway. Then they changed play callers. So everything's new anyway. So I, I think the key really in terms of the football is strip it down, keep it simple, do the things you know you can do. And I, I think back to the first Atlanta game, which was also without Christian McCaffrey, and you run it 47 times. Yeah. And part of that was Sam Darnold running around. And we know that Cam Newton's got some background as a runner. So he can contribute to that too, but 47 carries amongst this committee that includes Amir Abdullah and Chuba Hubbard, but not Christian McCaffrey. And, and I think something like that makes an awful lot of sense for where they are. Is there a way to distill
0: the running game into something that makes it even easier for, you know, once again, a different looking offense? I mean, who really knows exactly what this <laughs> offensive line is going to look like? I mean, is there a way to say, hey, rather than, you know, all these zone reads where, you know, you have to pick up this, but maybe this, depending on whether Cam hands it off or holds it, you know, I, I, is there a way just to go downhill? I, I, I don't know.
2: I don't know that they're necessarily built that way. I mean, there's not a, a Mike davis size back around here. Yeah. I mean, and if, you know, we'll see at the end of the week if they bring up Reggie Bonifant or Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown's a really interesting runner, uh, that we saw a good bit of in the preseason and training camp. And, you know, he's got some potential in hanging around on the practice squad. But Chuba and Amir aren't that kind of guy. They mm-hmm. aren't necessarily – I mean, Chuba was a high-volume runner at Oklahoma State and has put up some big numbers in the past when he's been the guy. But he's never been – this ain't Stephen Davis we're talking about. I mean, yeah. this is not a big 230-pound back who's going to move people around. And, and, again, as you mentioned – the three guys in the middle of that line in Atlanta that paved the way for a pretty solid run day are all gone. Yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan probably not going to play this week. Matt Paradis on IR. Johnny Miller is hurt and not expected to play. So I, I think you're going to get some combination of, obviously, Pat Elfline at center, Brady Christensen going to be in one of those spots, and then we'll see what happens on the other side. The other answer, too, might be, two things. One is a running quarterback, so if
1: you get Richie in the game, just Cam Newton defenses still have had a problem, even in Mm -hmm. 2021, with the rise to prominence of a running quarterback. Atlanta doesn't have one, the Panthers do. The other thing is the college play that has really Minnesota just victimized the Panthers with it, and that's a bubble screen. So a quick sideways throw, it's a pass, but it's basically a Mm -hmm. run, and it takes a lot of the O-line issues out of play. Mm -hmm. you got, if you got a Wide receiver that can block a corner, and then a, a back or a receiver who catches a bubble screen that can make a player miss. It can be a big play. So I think we'll see a little bit of both. Of that. And Atlanta's great at their wide zone. You know, Matt Rules talked about it—just how good Patterson and Davis are at, at mm. toting it. So with the Panthers being a little undersized at DN, I'm sure Phil Snow has got some things cooked up to try to, to try yeah, to and, and attack that.
0: We'll, we'll see some hopefully more of Stephon Gilmore. You know, Dante Jackson. Is, is now out from that cornerbacks crew mm-hmm. So I mean I, and I'm interested to see a lot more
1: of Henderson as well
0: i I yeah, yeah. I'd like to see both of those guys
1: yesterday at practice Sullivan tight end for the Panthers doing I thought he did a great job at being Kyle Pitts and giving the D a good
2: picture mm-hmm. of the eight. That's and not he, easy. No, it's not. It's a hard problem to solve. And and there was this mythology that Gil, because Gilmore had the late pick on him late, it was almost like you know Gilmore was tasked with locking down Kyle Pitts. Well, he only played twenty some odd snaps that day, I believe yeah. it was. So it, it's not like he was out there all day. And they are going to mix it up. And they are going to use a lot of people. And. Their plan in general is to throw a lot of defensive backs at every problem. And it's a different group now. Obviously, there's no J.C. Horn. There's no Dante Jackson the rest of the year. So, you're scrapping it together. But it's going to be a lot of Jeremy Chan. And it's going to be a good bit of C.J. Henderson, a guy who's got some size and is going to – you know, he's going to play a part in this thing down the road too. So, we'll see how it comes together. But having a Stefan Gilmore, however many snaps a game you've got him, and, and he'd probably not – you know, Matt said yesterday, he's not going to be a 70-snap-a-game guy anymore at, at 32 years old. And But the 40, 45, 50 he's going to be on the field are going to really matter because they're going to need it. I like special
1: teams, and Atlanta's interesting to me, Will, and – and, Darren, they have Youngway Koo, who's a great kicker, mm-hmm. accurate, powerful. And they needed a punter. So, they went out and got Thomas Morstead 12 years as a Long saint. saint. This guy is one of the deadly, accurate, directional punters that's ever played in the NFL. So, Chase Blackburn on teams, whoever's back there returning a punt, Erickson, he's good at tracking the ball, but he's going to have to hang loose. And then I thought Wednesday at practice, Gonzalez, Edwards punted the ball great. It was kinda of windy, but Zay Gonzalez just had a great set during his I don't think he missed. I mean just hitting the ball tremendously well. So what a story that is this year. Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's yeah, it was something that was interesting to see how you kind of felt like that was such a bit of concern in training camp in September and all of a sudden you have a guy that's a Pro Bowl candidate at kicker. Yeah, you know, that that you end up finding. Um, what is one of your favorite memories from this series? There's been so many great games between the Panthers and Falcons, and I'm kind of tracking back already a little bit here, but what are some of your favorite memories from, from this rivalry?
2: Oh, man. I mean, the thing I, that stands out to me about the Panthers and the Falcons is just how dang weird it always is. Yeah. I mean, really, from the very first game, when the expansion Carolina Panthers have a chance to win their very first game and they take the Falcons to overtime on the road, and Appalachian State's Derek Graham gets called for a false start that sets him back, you know, and ends up being a costly penalty down the stretch, and they lose. But. This game this series has been full of nine six games and weirdness and you know, people getting behind Haruki Nakamura over the oh, top God. and I mean it's just <laughs> please. It, it's just all these <laughs> calamities that could happen always seem to come together when the Falcons and Panthers I mean I I admittedly I Mick is lyrical about Cam Newton and what he means, but when I think of Panthers Falcons games, I think of chaos and yeah. I think of you know, strange things that you don't see in other games coming to bear. I'm the lyrical gangster,
1: <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Flashing you back to some music from back in the day. What was the year? Was it 2014 that the Panthers needed to win down yeah, there? Was, yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah. That it, was big. To go 7-8-1 and, and and win the division? Yeah, 34-3 I mean,
1: yeah. or something like that. Just played them right off their feet. I think the –
0: there's a sense right now, after that Miami game and then going to the bye, of just kind of this, like, kind of throwing up the hands of the fan base after all of the excitement from, you know, going into Washington. Right. But you look at the wild card race right now. I, I mean... You come out there, you run the ball, you get a win over Atlanta, and then Buffalo has had problems, and then all of a sudden it's like, what? What? I mean, it's all right there in front of you.
2: Yeah, it is, and and it's hard for people to wrap their minds around, and that's why I say, I mean, there's so much about defining what this season's going to be and what the future's going to be in these next five weeks. I mean, you know, we talked about the hope misery index yeah. last time we talked, and I said you're you're at one point you're talking about where in the top ten are they going to be drafting versus do they still have playoff chances, and it's kind of leaning one direction after Miami, but it does still exist, and I and I think for so many of those guys in that locker room, yeah, I mean, these are auditions for next year, for Matt Rule and the Panthers, and for other teams in general, and you know it's important for all these guys, but there's still so much to be determined, and it can go in either direction. This Absolutely. makes no sense
1: to the hard analytical mind. I mean, uh, here we are talking about that all the goals are still right there, and mm-hmm. I've done it too, but yet Matt Rule described the Miami game as as bad football, yeah. so we're, we're, you know, it's, it just doesn't add yeah. up. Which is got to get the football right. <laughs> right. I mean, fix right. some basic things, then we can probably talk with a little more zeal about goals that sure. are still in focus. One of my favorite memories from Atlanta was Trey Boston one year has a pick six and Trey Boston gets into the end zone, and as he's approaching the end zone, he does a forward dive somersault like Kathy Rigby or Olga Corbett or somebody, pops up, then shoots off imaginary six guns, then does the Michael Jackson moonwalk across the back <laughs> rail of the end zone. So we have him on our post-game show, and uh, Eugene asked a question, Jim Zoki asked a question, finally it comes my turn to ask a question. I said, Trey, I said, you went through these menu options, you did almost every celebration in the history of team sports, when you knew you were going to score, did you give any thought to acting like you'd been there before? And he paused and he said, "No, man, I didn't want to act like I'd been there before, Mick. I wanted to act like I'd never been there before." And I, and I said, "Well, you did. Just That's the awesome. joy of that I, touchdown, though. I still Trey is I a, Trey love is a treasure.
0: He's an absolute treasure. The this this I feel like I remember. All, there's a lot of dives into end zones in Falcons games. Cam Newton among them." The 72-yard run at home, mm-hmm. I think, in 14 or 15, where he dove in the end zone. And then the the win in 2017, where he did the Superman as he's getting pulled down by his back foot and did a Titanic dive with one hand.
2: Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That was, that was good. That's the kind of stuff he can still do.
0: I know. Mick, you said it before. Your first year with the Panthers was 2005. It, I think in the the chronology or in the history of this team, like it, everyone kind of focuses on 03 and 15 as you know the NFC championship years, but I always get fascinated by the really good teams that you know football happens and things happen and down the road all the running backs get hurt and all of a sudden you go to Seattle and you know you kind of don't have your your full squadron. What was that 2005
1: team like? Cause I, I, I feel like it was a pretty, really good team. I'll never forget the Giants game. The Panthers begin the playoffs by going to New York to play the Giants, and the G-Men were rolling, and it's a bitter, cold, clear day, but a really, really cold day. And that stadium was, I mean, off the chain. They were ready to explode, and I thought, man, if the Giants even go up three to nothing, the noise in here is just going to just wash the Panthers right on out of the playoffs. But the Panthers would have nothing of it. We're We're the better team. Took them apart piece by piece. The Giants fans had nothing to cheer about. Zero. Then Carolina goes to Chicago. Another cold day. And now the Chicago crowd is even – that was the first time ever in in my broadcast career that I'd been offered cigarettes, (laughs) beer, and venison all in the same game. In Chicago at Soldier Field, you broadcast from an open-air booth and you're right there in the stands. So the Swirsky – the super fans, you know, Ron and oh Bob Schworski are right there in front of you. They can hear what you're saying. They can converse with you, which they do. And their secondary, they had this music playing. Their secondary is rocking and rolling and thumping. But I'm thinking to myself, you guys do realize that you're not, you don't have an answer for Jake DeLome to Steve Smith, and the Panthers win that game and then
2: go to Seattle and just did not have –
1: just had kind of spent so much, is that? Do you remember that? Yeah, that I, way, I, Darren.
2: I do. I mean, and they were on an absolute roll, and that was peak Steve Smith. That's the year Steve won the triple crown, mm-hmm. led the league in receptions yards, and receiving touchdowns. And it it was it was not an untalented team. There were a lot of dudes on that team who were really good. It was probably on paper a better football team than the 0-3 team that went to the Super Bowl, but you know they ran out of they ran out of running backs yeah. and Stephen davis got hurt early on deshaun foster then got hurt and then you go out to seattle and lofa tatupu knocks nick goings out of the game gives him a concussion early and they're down to jamal robertson a little kick returner slash alleged running back from ohio northern university i remember that they're the polar bears for some reason um but it was down to hand it to jamal robertson and seattle was like yeah go ahead have a party do all that you want and it was over i mean and it was such a sudden fall for a team that burned so brightly because steve that year was just a force of nature i mean there was no stopping him the chicago playoff game was one of the most incredible postseason performances by receiver I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he just no one could cover him and he knew it and they knew it and they still couldn't do anything about it. Walk into the Seattle game, the NFC Championship game from the the hotel.
1: I remember thinking this is a difference between football here and football in the American South. In 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 our world people wear Panther colors of course, but you have in every section you'll have the the, the couple that decides to just put on their finery and wear a maroon dress or wear the, the, the orange sweater that guy got for Christmas or what have you. At Seattle, I felt like these fans were extras in a Scorsese film, and they had all, every single one of them had on Seattle Seahawks colors. That was impressive.
2: It probably is the highest jersey per capita I've yeah. seen in the league. I mean, and and because some of them are that crazy green, you know. Too, I mean, they they tend to stand out in a crowd anyway. But it is a uh, it is a committed fan base, and it's a different setting too. I mean, because there is, you know, there's more of a walk up crowd. I mean, a lot of places you've got a big central parking lot or something like Kansas City or like Buffalo something like that. But it's just it's plop down in the middle of the city and people were walking in from every direction and you can just feel it building the closer you get there. We're,
0: I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but how does that compare to, to a Buffalo? You know, that
2: kind of outside, that cold, that intense loyalty, you know, we're going to see that next week. That's a different world, man. You got to be <laughs> wired differently to enjoy that, being that cold and committing that kind of vandalism to office furniture. Um. yeah, it's it's a different mindset that I don't necessarily possess. And I don't know that the good people of Charlotte necessarily have it either.
1: Going to Buffalo a couple of years ago to play, it's been a while, but going up there, I remember thinking, okay, this is in Orchard Park, New York. And I looked all, all over, and I did not see anything that looked anything like an orchard <laughs> or, a, or, or a park. I saw a lot of – it looks like a maximum security prison yeah. up there. Yeah. There's just chain-link fence, and the yeah. fans – I remember the fans throwing eggs at
2: the our buses when oh, yeah. we were leaving. Oh yeah, I mean, cuz it's in. like I mean,
0: a it's a residential street. Mm-hmm. You're coming in on a street, a two-lane street and then turning into a parking lot and you're there.
2: Yeah, and it and it's not close to much of anything. It's kind of out in the country. It's almost like if uh if the Panthers had built a stadium in Locust or something. I mean, it's it's out there <laughs> a little bit away from everything. Locust. But it's uh yeah, it's definitely a different vibe. But it takes something. I mean, I remember I remember being up there and being exceedingly cold, and there was an old writer who used to cover the team, Denny Seitz, who worked at the Spartanburg-Herald-Journal, and he was a Western New York guy, and he was like, ah, it's really not that cold out here today. You get that little scratch in your throat, and he was standing out there in a sweater. And I'm like, no, this is the coldest place I've ever been in my life, Denny. This is not okay. Well, and the Panthers
0: have have usually been there in August and preseason in September. Like getting a December game in Buffalo has been pretty rare. So I've already
1: started looking at the long-range forecast. Uh-oh. And
2: now it ain't you can Bob. see that it's – well, it's not – I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's going to be cold, if not legendarily cold.
0: You're inside yeah. there, though, right? You're not outside in like Chicago? Or are you outside
1: like outside? I do not know. Sorry, we we know. have a sort of a tradition that we open the – if the windows open, we sure. open them. Sure. And that's just kind of how you do it. You want to get the natural sound. You don't want to sound like you're in a – In a phone booth broadcasting the game. So, we, uh, yeah, we'll see. I will not be electing to open the windows wherever I'm sitting. That game at Minnesota where they were building their dome and we played at the University of Minnesota, my first words on the air, I think, that day were, it's not safe to be up here.
0: (laughs) Was that completely outside? No, No, you know, I mean, obviously there's windows, but, you know, there's some heat or whatever around you, right? We
1: opened our windows and – it was just in it was just insanely cold. I mean your coffee just try to take a bite out of your coffee after oh about two gosh. or three minutes and it's uh, I was so glad to get on that plane and go home. The wow. south is great by the way. Yeah. Pine trees are underrated. Sweet tea is underrated. This is the spot that you want to be.
0: I I'm not leaving it for a bit, so I'll let you guys go enjoy all these road trips.
1: Oof. Where are you right. and Anna gonna make your home? We've we've gotten a lot of
0: questions about that and including uh you know what's happening for the next six months, and then you know all the years after that. I I, I would like to stay around here. Her family's from Raleigh. My family's from Charleston. Uh, we do not have a date yet, and we don't have a location yet. We're working.
2: Don't it. don't worry. You'll get filled in on all that at the appropriate time. Yeah, you'll, I know. You'll find
1: that <laughs> that generally the 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 wife wins the battle if there is a battle over whose family you eat Thanksgiving with, whose family you spend Christmas. With. You'll be lucky if you you'll have to wear a name tag to go see your own family in a few years.
0: Hey, my my mom is very is you know is a strong presence in in that uh, in that debate. But I, I I am usually pretty open. Her her family's great, so I I enjoy spending time with
2: them. Congratulations again, brother. Thank you. Happy for you. See, nothing. Condolences but, no, to her when you see her. Nothing but happy here on the happy half hour.
0: Yeah, I hope I hope everyone didn't completely hate my uh, cameo for for Kristen today. Mick, thank uh, you for joining us. That's it yeah, Happy, we've yeah. Hour, it's half, half I hour it. look at the clock we've
2: we've done our stuff right. maybe we can see if we can get an update from Kristen balboni on the special assignment before next week's episode yeah it's a
1: boy baby coming and names that we have proposed are mick mickey forrest <laughs> orion uh jake jake i like that the zoke forest orion balboni i oh. don't think they're going with any of our suggestions yeah though, no though. i do like jake jake would be fun Jake Balboni. Jake Jordan Balboni has a chance. J- Jake Jake Jordan Balboni. <laughs> That's
0: good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Mick. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see you again next week or some of the weeks after that. You'll uh, you'll have to cue me up on doing this uh, whole hosting thing better. You know, you're you're usually the one carrying the carrying the train.
1: You did great. I was profoundly uncomfortable by not being able to control the uh, the happy half hour, but I, I, I'm honored to be a small sometimes you got to be a pass.
0: Thanks, guys.